Coming to you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection, I am Lisa Sharon Harper, president of Freedom Road, a consulting group dedicated to shrinking the narrative gap. Welcome to the Freedom Road podcast. Each month, we speak with national faith leaders, advocates, and activists to have the kinds of conversations we normally have on the front lines. It's just that this time, we've got microphones in our faces, and you are listening in. And this month, we welcome Dr. Nicolette Lewis-Saint, a scientist and leader in the disaster response arena, particularly around pandemics. She worked on the Ebola response and has been a leader within the COVID-19 response as well. Dr. Lewis Saint is the executive director of Healthcare Ready. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Tweet to me at Lisa S. Harper or to Freedom Road at Freedom Road Us. And keep sharing the podcast with your friends and networks and letting us know what you think. This conversation was originally recorded as a Facebook Live conversation. And we said this was so good that we need to share it with our audience on Freedom Road Podcast. So we hope you enjoy it. Hello, Facebook. We are so excited to have you here with us tonight. Um, We are going to have a special conversation convened by Freedom Road. This event is also co-sponsored by the Ad Council and the COVID Collaborative in partnership with Values Partnerships. And before we begin, I'd like to offer an acknowledgement of the First Nations where I am located today in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This is the land of the Lenny Lenape. We acknowledge that The Lenni Lenape thrived along the Schuylkill and Delaware River systems and stewarded the land for thousands of years before anyone discovered it. And we thank you. We bless you and your elders, past, present, and emerging. So we are just coming off of a Delta variant peak, and our nation has witnessed and absorbed the deaths of 727,167 people. They have lost their lives to COVID-19. 66% of the population, though, has received at least one dose of the vaccine, and 57% are fully vaccinated. So there's hope. But there are still a lot of people out there who have not yet been vaccinated, many of whom are fishing through a lot of misinformation out there on the web. So that's why we're here today. We're here because we're not playing. We need to get the facts on COVID-19 vaccinations and the real ones, not the fake facts. Hello, somebody. And we have someone here who I spoke with earlier this year, and we had a really great conversation over on IG. So I wanted to bring her over to the Facebook community, and I thought that you would really love her. So Dr. Nicolette Lewis-Saint is back for this important update on all that we need to know about COVID-19 vaccinations. Dr. Nicolette Lewis-Saint is the executive director of Healthcare Ready and was a leading member of the vaccine rollout team. Welcome, Dr. Nicolette Lewis-Saint. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me and for having such an important conversation this evening. Thank you so much. Really, thank you for coming again. And you're going to be joining us for a longer conversation on IG Live tomorrow night at 7 p.m., right? Yes, I'm looking forward to it. I am. It's a much more informal space, but for here, this is 30 minutes. This is the power session. We're at the, you know, beginning of the evening. I know folks want to get to their evening shows. 
So Dr. Lucet, first question I have is, first of all, I want you to tell us a little bit about your story. How did you come to your current role helping people to make informed decisions on vaccination? And is there anything else that you're doing that we need to know about? Yeah. So I came to my role as a scientist. I'm a trained scientist. And for me, my passion was actually always been infectious diseases. So I have long wanted to make sure that we understood how to either prevent or to cure infectious diseases. And by way of that, spend a lot of time at the bench, which is what scientists call the, the lab bench, where we spent 20 hours of our, our days doing experiments, doing clinical trials. And I was at that intersection of understanding what worked at the bench in you know, a Petri dish and what worked in humans and how we needed to work faster to get things from the Petri dish to the human, or as we call it, bench to bedside. What matters at the bedside that's going to save someone's life? So that's always been my passion. And really, I realized a number of years ago now, I was going to say a few years ago, and I realized it's more like decades. It actually was really important to think about how this happens at a large scale. And that's what took me into the disaster space. And so with that, I transitioned into science policy, first working in a number of places, the public health level, community level, in the Baltimore Urban League as a public health director. Then transitioned to the State Department, where I did a lot of this work and ended up working on the Ebola team during the Ebola outbreak. Wow. Wow. 2013 to 2015. Yeah, doing that work. The height of Ebola started around 2014 and did that work with that Ebola team, making sure that we were able to contain that outbreak so that we didn't end up with a pandemic. And then transitioned into Healthcare Ready, where I was focused mainly on preventing other disease outbreaks. So that's what got me here. Um, so I've been in this disease prevention space for a while from different vantage points. Mm-hmm. Continue to have a passion to make sure that we, as a nation and as a, a globe, really, are able to prepare for and respond to these types of pandemics because we know that those who are most vulnerable will be those that are harmed most in these disasters. Mm, wow. Now, when you say most vulnerable, what do you mean by that? Can you just break that down? Absolutely. So vulnerability is not a one size fits all. And if we really think about it for catastrophic disasters, all of us are vulnerable. We would all fall into the vulnerability category. But depending on the nature of a disaster or a disease outbreak, there are going to be those of us who are more vulnerable. That may be because of how whatever their diseases are, whatever their chronic diseases are, physiological realities. But there's also a social component. So when you think about those who, for example, in the pandemic had to go to work, had to transportation, Right. Right. They had physical functional needs, physical disabilities that prevented them from being able to, I don't know, communicate with a mask on, for example. You know, we talked about having clear masks and needing that as for a mode of communication. Um, But that's, you know, that's another community. So we think about vulnerability and we really have to think about it in a more complete way to recognize that we all have vulnerabilities depending on the disease. Some of us may be more vulnerable, whether it be physiologically or because of social dynamics, more vulnerable because they are exposed more frequently mm-hmm. because of, again, socioeconomic realities. So actually, it's funny. I wanted to jump to this question here. I read something in the New York Times that said that not everybody needs the boosters. 
right? So they said this was actually before the recent FDA rulings on the booster shots and all of that. They said in their analysis that the immunocompromised people and older people, yeah, they need the booster shots. And also what they found is that the people who are experiencing the most post-vaccinated COVID contractions are people who have a lot of exposure to public spaces. So those people who are the essential workers, Mm -hmm. but also, and this was one that got my attention, people who lie a lot are actually among the ones who are getting COVID post-vaccination a lot more at a higher rate. So they should get the booster, this article in the New York Times said. Is this correct? And if so, you know, why isn't that group, the fly a lot people, why aren't they on that list? It's true in that when we're thinking about who needs a booster, the reality is that all of us will need a booster at some point. It's a question of who needs the booster first. Uh-huh. And so, you know, the thing about science and public health, there's so much nuance, right? And sometimes when we're not careful about being complete with the nuance, we leave out important words. And to me, booster first is really what we're getting at. Really, I think what happened at the beginning of the booster conversation was, frankly, a scarcity mindset. We were still in that mindset of, okay, there aren't enough boosters for us to boost the American public and make sure that the globe has the vaccines that they need. And if we have to think about how we allow for the available vaccines to benefit the globe the fastest, we have to think about who needs to be boosted first. So in that category became the frequent, you know, frequent exposed people, the medical professionals that need to get it, essential workers, those who ride public transit, who have to get to immunocompromised individuals, who in some cases, it may actually be what's called the third dose, that extra dose, which we can certainly talk about as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and so those individuals with multiple chronic conditions that, again, may have immunocompromised states. So they were looking at it from that vantage point of who needs to be prioritized for a booster. Okay. But we've also seen the administration turn around and say, well, actually, we have enough vaccine to boost all of us and give the rest of the world the vaccines that they need. Right. We have enough. Wow. This is a... It's a milestone because I remember back not that long ago, several months ago, we didn't have enough. We were rationing and we were hoarding in some ways. We were still giving stuff away, but we were not that generous with our vaccine. And so now we are. What happened in the interim? So, you know, we talk about supply chains a lot. I was listening to a podcast over my coffee this morning and they were talking about supply chains. But there's a there's a side to what the supply chain does. And I think what we often, as somebody who spends a lot of time in supply chains and can bore you to details with them, what we need to remember is that supply chains are essentially designed to handle an initial shock at the beginning, but they can adapt quickly. Mm-hmm. And so in the few months that they had to say there's a vaccine coming and we're going to have to create mm-hmm. billions of doses, They've taken the time to build the capacity that allows for them to make billions of doses. So that meant that in December all the way to March, maybe we didn't have enough then. But by the time we got to May, June, oh, yeah, they were cooking, right? So at that point, we got to a rate that's being sustained now. So I think just Monday, the number was 9.3 billion doses have been produced. Wow. Wow. 
These are our stories. You're listening to the Freedom Road Podcast, where we bring you stories from the front lines of the struggle for justice. Many listeners of Freedom Road Podcast have tracked with me over the course of years. You have been growing with me in conversations with people, but I think that there is nothing more powerful than the power of story, family story, to heal the world. So that's why I wrote Fortune, How Race Broke My Family and the World and How to Repair It All. Our nation right now is really at the brink In many ways, we're torn. We are more divided than we've been in more than a century. Now is the time for us to listen to each other's stories. Now is the time for us to lay down our arms and simply try to understand how we got here. And as a result, maybe even gain a new vision for where we can go together as a nation, as one America. 30 years of research, 10 generations, one family, the roots of race, the degradation, the resistance, and the rebellion, the rising, the calls to truth-telling, repair, and forgiveness. Fortune drops on February 8th, 2022. So pre-order now. When you pre-order, You help bump Fortune up so that the people who need to see it do. Pre-order Fortune, and let's continue to walk this road together. Kind of one of those moments where I just want to give ourselves a cat a pat on the back. <laughs> we did a good job here. Like we did a good job here. This is a good thing. Okay, so I have another question for you though. I want to know what is it that we need to know about where we are in the COVID nineteen struggle at large in the U.S. and then globally. Like, what do we need to know that people really don't know, or that leaves us vulnerable to misinformation? I think we really need to remember that so much of this is up to us. Mm. So when we think about where we are in the pandemic, so much of this is about the next choice that we collectively make. And so I'm always asked, you know, what do you see happening next? And I think what we need to know is that it's up to us. What happens next in this pandemic is going to be a function of the choices that we collectively make. And I think we are in a place now where we absolutely have enough vaccine to vaccinate everyone who wants to get vaccinated and boosted, which is incredible. But we also know that we don't have people lining up to get vaccinated or boosted. We know that we have a very good chance by the end of the year of having vaccines available for children as young as five. Mm -hmm. And are we ready to get those kids vaccinated? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So those are choices that we have to make. The supplies are there. The healthcare system, I would say, is still suffering. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something else that we should know. The idea that a health system, a hospital, an emergency department is going to be there when you need them is not an assumption we can make if we keep straining the health systems the way that we have been. Mm-hmm. I want to know that my emergency department is there for me if I'm in a medical crisis. I don't want to wonder, are they going to need to send me to somewhere else for an available bed? Mm-hmm. But if we keep straining the systems the way that we are, that won't be the case. Wow. Now, tell me about the variants and, and how are the variants figuring into the place where we are right now in our COVID-19 struggle? Yeah. So we have two variants right now of concern that are being tracked, the Delta variant and the Lambda variant. The way that variants work is is also a little bit up to us because we end up with more variants in circulation the longer the virus has the opportunity to circulate in the population, right? The goal of a virus is to stay alive. It wants to find a host, and find ways to allow it to continue to stay alive. And that quest is what creates more variants. Mm. So by us getting vaccinated and by us limiting and reducing the number of infections, we're giving the virus less time to try to figure out new ways to stay alive. Wow, that's such a great, it really does. Honestly, I know this is going to sound weird, but it sounds like like the invasion of the body snatchers. Exactly. Have you heard that before? Like, or alien, like, you know, like <laughs> alien from the 1980s. I don't want that thing in me. I'm happy to get a vaccine against the alien. I, they're invaders, right? They're coming in to invade and they don't care what they do to you, right? There's no ethical framework that viruses are adhering to. Their goal is to stay alive. That's what they want to do. And so when a virus is invading a host, their sole goal is to stay alive. And so that's how they keep mutating because they're trying to get smarter. They're trying to find ways to become easier to infect, to make you sicker. And the better they are at staying alive, the worse it is for us. Yeah, that's right. So I have a question, though. So we're like we're pushing out these vaccines and vaccines. But I read somewhere, I think probably in the New York Times because I read it every morning. Do the vaccines are the vaccines that are that we have, Uh are they for the Delta and the other variants? Like how effective are they against variants? So every time we see a new variant, it's it's tested against the vaccines. And when the vaccines were initially developed, we had the alpha variant of the virus. So now we're at Delta. And if you recall a few months ago when the Delta variant was starting to circulate, there were a lot of tests and there were initial reports about, okay, we're still 95% effective. So very good performance against the Delta variant. We're seeing that the Lambda variant may have some mutations that may make the current vaccines less effective. Mm. But again, to the power of that supply chain, they're already working on modifications and changes to the vaccines that could be made if we begin to see that the vaccines don't perform as well against the Lambda variant. Wow. Wow. And again, when I'm saying not perform as well, still limiting severe hospitalization and death. Yeah. But maybe seeing more in the way of infections and moderate illness. I see. I see. So it's still really important. But this is why, 
I mean, I had a conversation with a friend of mine not too long ago who is still figuring out if they're going to get vaccinated. And I was explaining that the longer that we wait, we give more COVID-19 viruses an opportunity to embed in a body and keep themselves alive, the more likely a variant is to come around that we don't have a vaccine for. Exactly. Right? That's right. Yeah. So this is truly a race against time. Yeah. And that's the part that's up to us. And so if we say, okay, I'm tired of this. I want to be able to sit at a coffee shop and have this conversation and yeah. not be on Facebook Live or not be, you know, mm-hmm. on a Zoom call every 10 minutes, right? Yeah. We're really at the point where we're saying our essential workers have had enough. They deserve better than what we're asking them to do right now. Mm-hmm. Our hospitals have had enough. They deserve better. Our children have seen enough. And we're sick of it and we're ready. Mm-hmm. We'll get vaccinated. We'll continue with our social distancing and our public health practices. And we'll get that rate of infection so low that we won't have to worry about variants at, in this way. And I think mm-hmm. that's the part that we're really, we need to be honest about that this is a collective decision and a social compact. This is wonderful. And I want to say, Kip Banks wrote in on our Facebook comments, and I want to open up the Facebook comments to anybody else, anyone who is watching. Please write your comments, your questions, especially right now in the comments section. We are going to try to respond to them in the amount of time that we have left. So I want to open up one of the questions that Kip Banks asked. What does Dr. Lewis Saint say about folks who are saying that General Colin Powell's passing due to COVID shows us that vaccines don't work? Yeah. So I want to first start by saying tremendous respect for General Powell. And as a daughter of a Jamaican immigrant, holds a very special place in my heart, as well as the service at the State Department. So what we should remember, though, is that there was a lot about General Powell's health conditions that we did not know until we learned of his passing. He had Parkinson's. He had cancer. He was an immunocompromised elderly citizen. He was 84. Mm -hmm. And so it's not enough to say that the vaccines don't work. We do have to remember he, in his conditions, was exactly the person that we continue to say we need to protect because Mm -hmm. he was the severely immunocompromised. He's Mm -hmm. 84. Mm -hmm. He had cancer. Mm -hmm. He had Parkinson's disease. So it's not that the vaccines didn't work. It is that he was fully vaccinated and having gone through, whether it was the two shots or the extra dose, Mm -hmm. his immune system would not be able to give him the 95% level of immunoprotection because of those conditions that he had. that, That makes sense. So he started with an immune system. That would actually only get him to, let's say, 30% effectiveness or 40% effectiveness. Ah, now that makes sense. And yes, all honor to General Colin Powell. So yes, please share your questions in the comments section. While we're doing that, I want to, actually, I want to take Dr. Lewis St. through a bunch of myths and I want you to bust them for us, bust the myths for us. Okay. The first myth is, can the COVID-19 vaccine cause variants? No, the COVID-19 vaccine can't cause variants. The virus is not in the vaccine. The goal of the vaccine is to actually stop replication of the virus. If you stop replication, 
you can't get back variants. That's good. That's awesome. Okay, next question. And by the way, everybody, I literally pulled these questions right off the CDC website. So if you want to go deeper into these questions and actually see a bunch more, go right to the CDC myths, myth. I think it's myths and busting or something like that. And I'm myths. They're right. Their page is awesome. Right. <laughs> they're really good. And honestly, there were a bunch of myths there that I didn't even know people were really struggling with. But so that's why we're asking them, can the COVID-19 vaccine cause sterilization? That is what I've heard. Yeah, I'd love for you to explain this. I've heard that it is an excellent piece of misinformation. Mm. There is no data whatsoever that has proven, has demonstrated, has even caused for concern that there is a linkage between the COVID-19 vaccines, any of them, and sterilization or infertility. That's been the other myth that I've heard is that it's led to infertility or miscarriage. Right. Um, you don't have to believe me. You can go on the CDC website. You can actually look at what we call VerbPAC, which is the vaccine review board that the advisory committee that reviews all of the data, they review all of this data to make sure that this is true. Those recordings are on YouTube. You can go listen to them for yourself, but there's been no data that supported this linkage to date. Okay, awesome. Next one is, is the mRNA vaccine considered a vaccine? Yes. So that is an interesting one because I've heard this rumor before and it took me a minute to figure out like what the question was. But yeah, vaccines are intended to prevent infection by mounting an immune response. Mm -hmm. That's what it does. That's what they do. <laughs> okay, next question. Do COVID-19 vaccines contain microchips? No. And this has been one of my favorite myths to bust. They do not contain microchips. Again, and I like to explain the root of the misinformation because I think it helps people understand where it comes from. In order to allow for the vaccine to, to get to your immune system, right, to get to the cells that it needs to get to to make the protein and help your immune system mount a response, the vaccine is actually delivered in polyethylene glycol in nanoparticles, right? All the nanoparticle is a very small inert particle that does nothing to your body. It delivers what it's supposed to deliver. And then your well-functioning system, your bloodstream, your liver, your kidneys eliminates it. That, now, honestly, I never heard that last part of it. And so people, when they're afraid that something's being added to their body, and that actually goes to my next question. And last one in terms of myths, can a COVID-19 vaccine alter my DNA? It does not. So your DNA is housed in the nucleus of your cell. Your nucleus of your cell is one of the most protected parts of any cell in your body. Wow. And the vaccine is not getting anywhere near the nucleus. That's not where it gets to. So it's not even going near the nucleus of the cell. If you thought about a single cell as a football field. Oh, wow. If you think about the nucleus as a 50-yard line, your vaccine is all the way in the bleachers. They're not even near each other. Wow. Okay. Okay, people, I really hope you feel better here. Really, you're in the bleachers, not even near the 50-yard line. I love that. Okay, last question, and I think really important given the timing that this is coming. This is coming just before we enter the holiday season. We have Halloween next week, and we have Thanksgiving, not very, you know, pretty 
quickly after that and then Christmas. So what do you recommend regarding holiday travel and gatherings? I think we have to be mindful of those who we are around. We were just talking about General Powell. We have to be mindful of the conditions of our elders. These are case-by-case decisions, but we need to understand how we are traveling. Is that safe for us? But also, if we're vaccinated or fully vaccinated or boosted, who are we going to be interacting with that may be immunocompromised? A big part of the holiday season is being around the multi-generations in your family. Yeah. You may be a risk to your elders. If you can make sure that you are getting tested, and I think that's an important part of this that we're not doing enough of right now, Mm -hmm. get tested. If you're able to have a KN95 mask and travel, if you're going limited distances, if you're able to travel in your car after you know you've had a negative test, Mm -hmm. then you may be able to safely do it. But I'd still recommend smaller groups. So maybe it's not your 75 family members in the house. Maybe it's 15, maybe it's 10 of people who have recently been tested, who know they're fully vaccinated and boosted. Okay, so Kip Banks actually offers another question. And this is going to be our last question before we wrap up. Is there anything that we can do to convince the hardcore vaccine hesitant to get vaccinated? That's a great question. I think really it's a case by case. I think there are people who may listen to me And they may say, okay, she looks like she knows what she's talking about, (laughs) but they're still going to need to talk to someone else, right? They may want to talk to a family member who got vaccinated to understand their experience. They may want to call their doctor. They may want to go to the pharmacist. There are other people who it may be logistics. Maybe they need a ride to go to the pharmacy. Maybe they need to understand how easy it is for them to sign up and get vaccinated. Mm. So it's a case by case. But I think at this point, you know, Kip described it perfectly. The hardcore vaccine hesitant. Mm -hmm. It's a case by case. Shouting at people, calling them names, blaming them is not going to make them feel like they should get vaccinated. We're not going to shame people into vaccination. We need to love them into vaccination. Mm. Wow. I love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Lewis Saint, and everyone who clicked in for this short, powerful conversation. And thank you, Kit Banks, for the great question. And big thank you to the Ad Council and the COVID Collaborative and Values Partnership for helping to make this power combo person possible. And so we hope that you got the facts that you needed. If you still have questions, please go to getvaccineanswers.org. Or also, we placed, uh, well, what, we, what I would like to do is I'd like to ask you to come and visit us over at um, IG Live tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern time. I think that's 4 p.m. Pacific and everything in between. Dr. Lewis Saint and I are going to be on again and we're going to have a longer conversation, a lot more casual, and you will all be able to answer some serious questions. So get your questions ready and come and join us. And that's our kitchen table conversations that we have every Friday at 7 p.m. on IG Live. So. Please follow freedomroad.us for more opportunities to grow and engage on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And in the meantime, have an awesome weekend. The conversations leaders have on the road to justice. This is the Freedom Road Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. 
The Freedom Road Podcast is recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This episode was engineered and edited by David Dalt of Sandberg Media. And Freedom Road Podcast is produced by Freedom Road LLC. We consult, coach, train, and design experiences that bring common understanding, common commitment, and lead to common action. You can find out more about our work at our website, freedomroad.us. So stay in the know by signing up for our updates, and we promise we will not flood your inbox. We really won't. We invite you to listen again next month. Join the conversation on Freedom Roads.